So I'm looking through this little bit of the Bible earlier, and I'm seeing these two sentences that jump out, verse 5 and verse 13, and they tell us of something about who God is and something that follows on after it. Look, verse 5, may the God who gives endurance and encouragement. Okay? Now I'm hoping that your ears prick up even as I say that. I don't know whether there's anybody in this room who today feels like they might need to be near somebody who is encouragement and endurance. Is there anybody out there? Maybe? Oh, of course we can't do this. This is church. We can't actually participate. Okay. Silly me. May the God of hope... Is there anybody out there who feels like hope would be something good to be near? That it's that illusory thing. Good on you, mate. Good on you, because you, you're about the only normal human being in the room there. Okay, we need to be near something of hope, don't we? And so this is what the Apostle Paul thought the Romans needed to hear. And I'm just going to take a leap into the dark here and assume that that is something that our souls need. Endurance, encouragement and hope. And according to the Apostle Paul, if that's the case, then we're in the right place. Because the God who we're going to talk about in a minute, those are his middle names. Let's pray. Lord, we are desperately needy people, but so often we don't know where to go to get those desperate needs met. Lord, we are souls that are starving. We are hearts that are not as wise as we think. Uh, We lack an ability. Lord, would you have mercy upon us, please? If you are the God of encouragement, of endurance, of hope, would you come near to us now that we may see and know and taste and experience what you would have us do? Please, Lord, help me as I speak. Help all of us as we do more than listen, that we meditate, that we think, that we take deep within your precious words of promise here in these scriptures. Help us to live by them. Help us to feed on them. Help us to be filled by them. For we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, So I wanted you guys to be the first to know. I need to be true to myself. I am thinking of changing religion. Straight up. Don't get me wrong. Uh, I do like Jesus. I do think he is the way, the truth and the life. I do things that, uh, think that he is one day coming back to judge the living and the dead. I do really believe all of that. I believe that any other ist or ism or way of building life is absolute nonsense and is defying the very point of our existence. I believe absolutely everything that this Bible says about me, about you, about speak, about the world. I believe all of that. The problem is... I need to be true to myself, because as much as I believe all of those things up here, functionally, I live by another religion the rest of the week most of the time. I'm going to see, uh, by getting in touch with the people who do the census, that when you know, like they got about a thousand people together to say, put Jedi on as a legitimate religion, okay? uh, they managed to try to get a bunch of people to do that. I'm going to try and get them to put this new religion um, I have decided that I am a fully committed, non-nominal member of the cult of Steve Casey. I'm a meist. Okay? Just comes naturally to me. Really does. I want everything that suits me. I really do. Try not to, but why fight it anymore? I want everybody to be constantly aware of what I want. 
I want it so that when I turn up at the traffic lights, I don't care what's going on in anybody else's life, somebody somewhere is at every set of traffic lights so that whenever I turn up there, they push the button that makes them go green for me. That's what I want. Uh, I want wherever I go, whichever shop I'm in, I want them to put on a playlist that I like. But the problem is, my likes change every day, so I want them to know what mood I'm in as well. And I just want it to go like that. I want people who pander to my needs. I want to live in a home where everything that I think should be tidy is tidy. But the stuff that I want left out so I can get it when I want it, I just if you touch it, I want you to do press-ups as penance or something like that. I want people to always agree with how right I am, because the fact is I am right about pretty much everything. And I just want people to just get with the program and realise that that actually is the case. Um, I want to get what I want without it being too difficult. I want hardship and difficulty to be pushed away. And I want that to be the, the vision that I pursue and I, everybody else agrees that it's absolutely okay for me to use my zeal, my energy, my intellect, my abilities, all to be bent towards that end. I want everybody to sign up and say the cult of me is all right. Does anybody want to join my religion? Why not? Oh, I know why not. Silly me. Because you're too busy all following the cult of you, aren't you? Now, for most of you who've been around this church long enough, you'll know that that's not what you're made for. In fact, the Shorter Catechism tells us, it says, uh, starts with the question, what is the chief end of man or mankind? Answer, to glorify me and enjoy getting what I want forever. Is that right? No, actually, for those of you who know your old catechisms, no, the, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's the reason that we've got breath in our body and the reason we're on planet Earth. It's all about the glory of God, not about the glory of Steve. So why is it that, like you, I find it so easy to slip out of that ultimate purpose? Why am I so bent out of shape? Why am I so selfish? Uh, you could argue that the whole of the book of Romans up to this point is about how God has pursued a bunch of people who have lived for themselves, are bent in towards themselves and don't want to re recognize his glory. And he's, rec he's rescuing them from the right condemnation and punishment that that visits upon them for defying a holy God. And he's rescuing them from the damage that they do to themselves by living in that way. He's rescuing and redeeming hearts and minds. And the way he's doing it is through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who goes to a cross to pay for the sin against a holy God for defying him and to break the power of sin so that we won't be so utterly self-absorbed. And here I am as a Christian, I'm a preacher, and I've been card-carrying Christian for a long, long time, and yet it seems to me that the old me always wants to be dominating, and I just get captivated by living for nothing greater than the puny and petty vision of Steve Casey in his own self-interest. Am I the only one in this room? No. So to be honest with you, I find it really difficult with the idea of endurance in serving the living God because I know what the biggest problem in that is going to be and it's not just that it's 
We live in speak where it's hard to speak up for Jesus because nobody wants to know. And it's not just because I live amongst a church family where we're at very best mediocre on our best day. No, it's because of me. Letting go of that old vision and genuinely loving Jesus and enduring and battling for what he says is right. That's a massive challenge. To find hope in him rather than find hope in all the other great things that seem to sort of amuse me at one point or another is really, really tough. What's more, the Apostle Paul saw that at work in the Roman church. And he saw this church of people who, just like me, had been called from all kinds of backgrounds, had said, yeah, actually Jesus is the truth. He is the one worth betting your whole life upon. He is the one who one day will judge the living and the dead. He is the one who's been given all authority under heaven and earth. He is the heavyweight, the one with clout, the one who we were made to know. He is Jesus Christ, our Lord. He's not like one of us. He's the Lord. And I can see that. And they could see that. But when it came to them coming together... They would so often be distracted by their own little vision of how to get by. They'd heard the gospel, they loved Jesus, they got the challenge of a hostile world and their own selfish sinfulness, and it was creating a squeeze. And so Paul comes alongside at the end of this big long exhortation to live together, to learn to be a church together, and he says, You ain't going to do this one on your own, are you, really? You're going to need a heavyweight. You're going to need to know who God is and what he is like. And so that we can't miss it at all, it comes there as loud and as clear as anything. Verse 5 and verse 13. And my assumption as I've been reading this is the reason that he pulls out this is they are the big guns. These are the places where you're going to have to run to, to grab a hold of, to take a stand, to take deep within you. Verse 5. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement. That's the God you're going to need to know and be near. Now, I don't talk about him as some, some, some concept or somebody distant who we talk about. No, no, you're going to need to know him near. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement, literally in the original, may the God of endurance and encouragement. And then verse 13, may the God of hope. You need to be near him if you're going to have the right kind of hope. Otherwise, you will cast your hope on almost anything. Now, can I ask you very quickly, do you want any of that? Now, I know we've got a long-standing tradition of being utterly indifferent to whatever the preacher seems to say at the front, or at least visually giving off no signs whatsoever as if this is more than just a blip. Uh, I certainly don't. I mean, we could put a heart rate monitor on everybody here, and it would pretty much stay level the whole time, okay? So I'm not expecting you to jump up in the, uh, the air and go, woo! Okay, uh, there is something in this chapter here about lifting your voices, but I mean that would be too much of an act of faith for us to go near, so I'll just stay away from that one. Uh, something though, of just ask yourself in your own little manner, is that something that you know you need a piece of? So the question is, I'm going to assume that maybe there's a little spark of it in there somewhere. Who gets endurance and encouragement? How do we get it? Who gets hope? How do we go about getting it? And I just want to tell the story of these verses so that you and I can have something of a little bit of a picture of who and how to get endurance and encouragement. Who and how to get hope. Okay? 
So first of all, let's look at verses 1 through to 7. Endurance and encouragement. Who gets it? The burdens. You get it when you're burdened. Now hopefully that's a bit of a relief to you. Somebody read for us verses 1 through to 7. Somebody read nice and loudly verses 1 through to 7. Who's going to do that? Go for it. Brilliant, okay. So, verse 5 is our key verse there. May the God who gives in gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus so that with one heart and mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, look at verse 5. What is God like? Okay, shout it out. What is God like? Brilliant. Go even more simple than that. I'm not interested in fancy explanations. What is God like? The God of giving what? Endurance and encouragement. Slow down and think for that about that for a second. What is God like? He is somebody who you need. He actually has a disposition towards giving endurance and giving encouragement. You think it's all about you and pulling yourself and making yourself fix that. I was sitting with a brother earlier this week who said exactly the same thing. I know that God is with me and for me and as I track back through what I've gone through, I can see that it is God who has been encouraging me and keeping me going. But in the moment, it feels like all the weight is on me. No, the promise here is that our God is the one who keeps people going and gives them encouragement Sometimes with their, their knuckles white and their head just above water. And what does he do? He wants to give this. He is a giver. He knows you need it if you're a Christian. You know, sometimes it feels like we're on. We're, we're not. He wants to give this to you. But why is it that they need it here? Why, is it, why are they being told it here? Let's try and fill out the picture a little bit. Look at verse 1. We who, who are strong ought to bear with the failings or close to it the word scruples or the weaknesses of the weak and not to please ourselves. Now we've been learning about this for the last two weeks, haven't we? Verse 2. Each of us should please his neighbour for his good to build him up. Verse 7. Accept one another. Or what was the other word we put in it? Not just accept it. What was the other word we said? Accept or embrace brilliant i use it as a way to explain that or welcome do you remember that so what are they doing here why is it that they need endurance and encouragement because paul is saying lay off rip up the manifesto of the religion of me rip it up and be bothered about the spiritual encouragement of the people in your church 
What you've got to do is bear their burdens. Have they got foibles or scruples about different things that are a little bit awkward? Do they come from a different, uh, have they made decisions about different things to you? Are they coming from in, in non-essential matters? Are they, uh, are they coming with a different experience and background? Are there other things that help them spiritually that, be, that you perhaps think are daft? Put off the sense of me and bear their burdens. You know that idea of bearing burdens? It's heavyweight. Lift and carry their loads in such a way that it tires you out, not them. Do you see that? That's what happens when we carry the shopping in from the car. Uh, I come in, having done all the shopping, I'm sick of carrying it. I say, kids, bring the shopping in. I'm under no under illusion what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to get them to do the heavy lifting. And what we're being told here is, be of a mind that amongst your brothers and sisters in church, you will do heavy lifting to help them grow, be spiritually encouraged, and the cause of Jesus Christ move forward. That's basically what's going on. And if you're going to be somebody like that, you're going to be worn out, exhausted. You're going to need endurance. You're going to need encouragement. Where do you get that from? Where does it happen? He pulls out the big guns because he thinks that this is a threat to to, to them living out who they're called to be, to be those who glorify God. He says, you need to know two things. If you're bearing burdens and are going to be running on empty in endurance and encouragement, this is what you need. Verse one, uh, sorry, uh, first, uh, first big gun is verse three. He talks about Jesus. That's always the big gun. Jesus didn't please himself. Verse three, for even Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. Jesus carried our burden. You, you need to get this, okay? So the Lord Jesus isn't just a role model. Some people attempted to make him into merely a role model. And so what we do is we roll out Jesus and say, kids, be like that. This is what Jesus is like. Therefore, that's what you should be like. No, no, no. We've got a different relationship to Jesus than that. It's not just that he did something good and right and bore burdens. No, we've got a closer relationship than that. He bore my burden. When something has been done for you that has opened a world of blessing and grace to you, something happens deep within inside you. You get connected to it so that you want it to be for you as well. So when a Christian hears, uh, Jesus didn't please himself, he bore your burdens, you don't go, oh, there's an example I've got to follow. You go, he did that for me? I can never pay him back, but he's opened up life. I want to be like him. I want to be a chip off the old block. He's called me as his child, and I I want to be reshaped by that. So Paul pulls out this big gun and says, don't just follow it as some distant example. Be what has been done for you, what Jesus has done. So if he can bear with our sins and our abuse, if he could be on that, uh, on that cross and carry the, the worst abuse that a wicked world that would hurl at him and his father, if he could do that so they would have a future, then in that case, then you can bear with one another just a little bit, can't you? Can't you? Why wouldn't you want to? You want to, don't you? Even as I'm saying that, some of you are like, yeah, I want to do that because of what's been done for me. We can bear with each other's scruples and awkwardness and different landings on uh, non-essential matters of the faith. So if your friend finds things helpful that you don't, you bear with them. 
You know, maybe it might be your friend finds it helpful to fast for Lent or close their eyes when they're singing or, or they want to dress up on Sunday because it helps them feel like they're connecting better with uh, or, or carrying a better attitude into meeting with God on a Sunday morning. Or maybe they want to abstain from alcohol, all of which is which the Bible either doesn't command or doesn't rubbish either. The Bible just doesn't say anything one way or another about it. But if it's helpful for them, I want to do it. I want to find ways to bear burdens because Jesus carried my burden. So that's where we get that, where the Lord encourages us and gives us an endurance to stick at it. We look at Jesus. But also, carrying on and linked to that is the next one in verse 4. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, this is mainly the Old Testament scriptures, so that through the endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Now, can I tell you, the people who are most likely to have endurance and encouragement this week, it's simple. <laughs> the ones who are most likely to are the ones who have taken the time to pick up their Bible and let it wash over them. It's really not difficult. Read your Bible, pray every day, pray every day, pray every day. Read your Bible, pray. I'm surprised you haven't kicked in with the harmonies. If you want to... Grow, or something like that. I've lost the tune part with you. It doesn't matter. You get the idea. The Bible is not a higher plane to some mystical life of spiritual devotion. That's not what it is. It does not teach blissful separation from the brokenness of life. No, the Bible is a book about the world. And given that you're bumping into the world every day, you're going to need to hear what the Bible has to say. It is gritty, it is honest, and when we read the scripture, we face the world as it really is on the big screen and in high definition. There is no denial of what is right and is true. And this is why we need to constantly turn to the scriptures, because they are the best diagnostic tool. When I look into the mirror of God's word, I see the exact essence of who I am and my need. This means that I must face the fact that my greatest need is not environmental or circumstantial. And, which is daft because every day I work to improve my environment, improve my circumstance. Or at least that's what I, my instinct to do is. Uh, make situations better, make the place and the way in which I live better. But the Bible tells me the truth. My greatest need does not derive from the fact that there is brokenness of the fall in every situation and environment, although there is, and it's true. But no matter what I face in this fallen world, my greatest problem exists inside of me. It's that cult of CKC who just wants everything my way. It minimizes God, it maximizes my own selfish feelings and my own selfish desires. My biggest problem is moral. There is something wrong inside of me, and the Bible tells me that straight on almost every page. And in one way or another, all of my bent out of shapeness influences my desires, my thinking, my choices. I'd love to tell you I'm a person who knows how to make good decisions. The best I can do is tell you that I'm marginally better at making decisions than I used to be. And that is genuinely contingent on how much of the scriptures I've been reading and how connected to the Lord who is the God of wisdom. We heard that from the Proverbs. So the Bible is a narrative of God's grace, a story of undeserved redemption. And I need to let that wash over me every day if the God of encouragement and the God of endurance is going to have his way in my life. It talks about the transformational power of his grace. God unilaterally reaching down into the muck of my fallen situation 
and through the presence of his son, radically transforming me into one of his children. Now that will fire you up for the day. That will give me endurance. That will give me encouragement. It presses us to learn and listen to eternity and the consequences of that over my own petty little thinking. So what does the Lord do? He tells me and points me towards Jesus and all that he's done for me personally. He gives me the scriptures to teach me about myself and the world and to give me perspective and to give me wisdom. He comes near to me in those two things and the result will be, imagine if you've got a church doing all of that. Look at verse 6. So that the one that with one heart and mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And here you have it, the verse I've been waiting for for ages. Because I know what you want it to say. You want it to say, so that with one heart you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. What bit does it say? Mark's sitting there, he's going, yeah, go on, preach it, Steve. That's what he's saying there. And he didn't even open his. Paul has a vision of a people who are clinging together and confessing with their mouth open. Can I tell you, that matters. It matters when you just mumble, oh man, when we pray. It matters according to the Bible matters so i don't care how up yourselves you are and how self-aware you are and how bothered you are about what you feel get over yourself get over yourself because this is about his glory and a people coming together who with one heart and one or mouth what are they doing together are taking the stand on the God who is present to give endurance and encouragement. It's all about him, stupid. It's all about him. It's not about you and me. Oh, I want it to be about me because I'm a meist. And I want a bit of say amen when I want to say amen. And I want a bit of stand up and sing heartily when I want a bit of sing heartily. We need to get over ourselves. He says, look at Jesus, listen to the scriptures, and he will meet you there. And we will be a unified body doing that. We will. But secondly, and I need to go quite quickly on this. He gives hope. Can I tell you what the way into hope is? The way into hope, according to this passage, is utter hopelessness. That's the way in. Utter hopelessness. Where's my notes gone? Oh, there we go. Okay. I'd lost myself there for a moment. Somebody read for us verses 8 through to 13. 8 through to 13. Somebody read that. Who's reading? I say that Christ has become a servant to the Jews on behalf of God's truth to confirm the promises made to the patriarchs that the Gentiles may glorify God for his mercy. As it's written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles, I will sing hymns to your name. Again, it says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. Again, praise the Lord, O you Gentiles, and sing praises to him, all you peoples. Again, Isaiah says, who is objective and sprinkled, one who will arise to rule over the nations, the Gentiles will hope in him. Brilliant. So if we look down the key verse, the end of verse 13, may the God of hope 
fill you with all joy and peace. Okay, so let's very quickly look at this. Ask that simple question again. Who is God? He is the God of hope. That's what he's like. That is his character. To be near him is to be near hope. To be distant from him is to cast your hope on almost any kind of silly thing or think that you know best how to find hope. He made you, he wired you, he put you together. To find hope is to be near him. And what does he offer in that verse, verse 13? What does he offer to do? Well, in my version it says, May the God of hope give you a tiny little drop. Is that what it says? It's not what it says, is it? Oh, and you've got to dare to believe here. We're trying to tell Bible truth. Are you daring to believe that he is a God who wants to give you more than t- a tiny little portion? Now, I want you to think about those times, right? Um, sometimes you go to people's houses and they're very kind in their hospitality. But what they tend to do is they tend to give you the, the, the they'll, they'll put the portion on the plate out in the kitchen and they bring it in. And you're like, darn it. Because it's a drop. And you know they've done, oh, it's amazing food. Amazing looking food, but I've got a meagre amount. Okay? And then there's other people, and what you do is you go to their house, and they bring it out, and they get a big serving spoon, and they put the whole dish right in the middle of the table, and they say, help yourself. Have as much as you want. Okay? Which one of those two is God? Is he dishing out the meagre portions of the good stuff? Or is he bunging it on the table and saying, you can have as much of this as you want? Which one is he? Oh, sorry. That would use your voice and mouth again. Duh. Okay. Who gets it, though? How do we get this big serving and this big portion? How do we get it? And the answer that we're going to see... Well, look at it here, okay? Where, do we, where, does, where does this story start, uh, start? Paul starts telling the story of how God is bringing together Jews and Gentiles from all over the world to have this one voice together to praise him, and he uses a load of verses. To, but what does it not say, okay? For I tell you that, verse 8, for I tell you that Christ has come as a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth to help them improve themselves so that they can be acceptable to God. Is that what it says? No. And we miss this almost every time because the gospel is not about something that you do for yourself. It is about something that had to be done for you because you were in a hopeless situation. Jesus came because the Jewish people could not fulfill what they had been called to do. God always knew that they couldn't do it, but they needed to have an awareness so that they would feel utterly hopeless. You see, the Jewish people, like the Roman church, like us, tend to give ourselves far too much credit. We tend, and they tended, to attribute too much righteousness to ourselves. We tend to think that we have more wisdom than we actually do. It's amazing the things that we will defend in our household as as being really common sense and the obvious thing to do. You take a step back, and most of the time we just chat in bubbles. We have not got a clue. We tend to think... uh, that Well, we tend to have pride in ourselves and our right character. No, I'm a scumbag. So if I say to one of my kids or my wife, don't ever say, you'd never do that. You've just overestimated your potential to get everything right. And you've underestimated your ability to do the most heinous of things. And the Jewish people were like that. 
They tended to regard themselves as those who could persevere in their own strength. They tended to think that they were submissive and obedient. They tended to think they were more committed to God than they really, really were. And they had the simple tendency to see themselves as more godly than they actually were. And the Old Testament takes them through a story of them failing and failing and failing and failing in order that they may come to the end of themselves and be hopeless in themselves. So I don't think we... um, I don't think we think that we devalue grace, but that's exactly what we often do. What we do is we look at ourselves and we conclude that spiritually we're okay, that we're not clinging on for dear life to Jesus. We tend to think we have a a deep esteem and an appreciation of, of grace, but actually we don't make it our only hope for life and for death. Quite often we can be people who who admit that we have no ability whatsoever to meet their own need, but we don't actually deeply believe that right inside. Sometimes we just don't realise how much we need grace. Sometimes we don't like to think of ourselves as needy. We tend to minimise our own sin. Many of us so often are far more concerned about the sins of other people than we are of our own sin. And then we forget the cross that there's Jesus dying a bloody death because sin is serious. But we downplay our sin. We minimise. We see ourselves as righteous. We don't cry out and run for rescue and for transforming grace. And as long as we still have hope in us, that is a hope in our ability to be righteous, we won't run after the hope that only God can provide. And yet there's a change here. Look down at verse 9. So the end of verse 8, Jesus came to confirm the promises made that God would bring a people to himself who don't depend on themselves, who don't hope in themselves, but hope in him. And suddenly there would be this kingdom, it's made up of Jews and non-Jewish people, the nations, if you like, a united nations of people who've come to the end of hoping in themselves and purely hope in God. And look what happens. Look how the Old Testament talks about it, quoting a number of the Psalms and, and bits in Isaiah as well. Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles, I will sing hymns to your name. Here's a people who want to sing hymns out to the nation of how God has become their God of hope. Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and sing praises to him, all you peoples, all you nations. And again in Isaiah, speaking of the Messiah who will be raised up, the root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations, and the Gentiles will hope in him. So what is the root to to being to getting hope answer be utterly hopeless in yourself and all the things you cast your hope on and run towards this one who is the hope of the nations and look at them they gather they gather together verse 13 may the god of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the holy spirit So what does this mean for us? Verse 13, will it happen? Verse 5, will it happen? Paul seemed to think that the Roman church needed it. They needed endurance and encouragement. They needed to come near to the God of hope. They needed to put off and change their thinking. They needed to go into battle against the self. 
They needed to unite and give glory to God in Christ and they needed him to be amongst them doing it. Do you get a sense that we need that same thing? The promise of the scriptures is, is, is that it is there for anybody who wants to go into battle to, bu- to carry the burdens of others and anybody who wants to go into battle against themselves and hope in Jesus. That's the promise. He will meet us there. He is the God of encouragement and endurance. He is the God of all hope. Do you believe that? It's hard, isn't it, to believe that? It's hard to pursue that. But if we push to it, he will meet us there in the midst of it. And that's why we're going to sing this song to finish. We're going to sing, Strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. And please, can I dare you to be praying even as you're singing? Can I dare you to be praying, Lord, would you give me this endurance as I pour myself out, putting the priorities on other people's spiritual growth, and I, I put off myself and I seek to please you, as Jesus did for me and as the scriptures tell me. Lord, would you help me? I haven't quite finished, Alma. I haven't quite finished. Would you help me, Lord, as I seek to put my hope in you and put off the hope in myself? Help me to be desperate and see my need. Let that fire me up with hope for now and uh, for the days of this life and for all eternity. I stand and sing, strength will rise.